Let's remain standing, and I want to read a passage of Scripture, which I read in the earlier service, and those of you who were there, I'm sure, will enjoy and be inspired by hearing it again. It's one of the great prayers of the Bible, a prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. And the part of the Bible that is written directly to us are those letters of Paul, those epistles. Not only his, but the others, John as well. All of the Bible was written for us. Paul's letters to the church written to us as personally as they were to the initial recipients. And so I read from the third chapter of the book of Ephesians. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow our heads to pray. Dear Lord, we add our own prayer to the great prayer of the wonderful apostle, a prayer for your church, and specifically today, for this church, your church in this place, with these people. Lord, you know the significance of the decision we are making today, and the results that will come from the decisions made today regarding the future of our church, of our children, of our grandchildren, and the children yet unborn who will be a part of this congregation and fellowship in the decades to come. We do not take this lightly. We come with serious hearts and prayerful hearts. As a number of us met together, Lord, here, as you know, in this room yesterday, to walk and to touch each pew, each seat, to pray that whoever is in that seat, who's sitting in that pew, will know the will of God in their lives. And for the person or persons, they feel God has impressed them to choose. We trust, dear God, as you've always promised, that you will work all things together, all votes together for good to them that love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 
May we stand and read the word of the Lord together. You see it on your bulletin and I assume will on the screen as well be shown. From the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, part of the Sermon on the Mount, we read together in unison the word of the Lord. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let's join hands as we do service by service, and our hearts together as we bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are the light of the world. And it is an awesome responsibility to realize that you have now called us to be your light in the world. Father, may we take this seriously. These words that you gave us in your Sermon on the Mount, may they reach into each and every one of our hearts and the heart of every part of the life of this church we might see that the light that you have given us is to radiate into our community, beginning with our families, our friends, our places of work, and bring the light to a world that sits in darkness. We thank you, Father, for our forefathers who brought the light of the word to us, and we praise them and thank them and thank you for them. And now may we be the succeeding generations what the preceding generations have been to us, the source of light and of love and of joy and of peace and of grace and encouragement. And we will see perpetually in this place, for decades to come, the glorious, powerful light of the revelation of Jesus Christ in and through his people. Bless this day and this service and every heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two men in history who are responsible for our being here today. The first one, of course, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Had he not taken the journey from heaven to earth as the Son of God to live and to die for our sins and to be raised from the dead by the power of God, we would not be here. But he gave a commission to some people, his followers, to go send the light. Go tell the world about me and what I have done. Jesus did not come to preach the gospel. He came so there'd be a gospel to preach. He is the good news. And we are responsible to follow his commission. How did the gospel get to us? It began with Christ, but then some faithful, devoted people whose lives were changed by him moved out into the world. One of the first, Stephen, was martyred. His martyrdom supervised by Saul of Tarsus. 
who a few days later on the Damascus Road was dramatically converted by the Spirit of God and became the great spokesman of the Christian faith. Paul. Paul took Jesus very seriously, as you will see. It cost him a great, great deal, and ultimately cost him his physical life. He began moving out from Antioch in Syria where the church had gone. Some of them had gone after the persecution broke out in Jerusalem. Some Christians went up to Antioch. The Christians in Jerusalem sent Barnabas up to see what was going on. He got there and said, this is a situation where we need Paul. So they called a pastor who was over making tents, which he had been doing for many, many years, who had been converted on the Damascus Road and spent time in Arabia coming to understand the nature of the fulfillment of the law as revealed completely and perfectly in Jesus Christ. But the disciples were a little hesitant about him because he had been such a persecutor of the early Christians. He, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he was back over in Tarsus making tents, but sensitive Barnabas, which is a nickname meaning son of encouragement, Barnabas, Joseph, was his name, said, this is where we need Paul. And so the church called Paul and Barnabas to be their pastors. And then they gave them authority and responsibility and ordained them to go on a mission trip. They did. They made the first mission trip to Asia Minor. Came back to Antioch, and they said after a while, and the church prayed, and they said, we need to go make a trip again to see how the churches are going that we, that we began. Here, Christianity beginning very embryonically with a lot of hostility and opposition from the Roman world in which it was permeating. And the pagan world, it was out there, indifferent to any kind and all kinds of religion. And so Paul went throughout Asia Minor again. Today's Turkey. And then here's where you and I come into the picture. He got to a place called Troas, and if you'd like to see what I'm reading from, you can turn to the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, page 1096 in the Bible there in the book rack in front of you. Paul got uh, to that part of uh, east, the western part of Asia Minor, and he wanted to go back to some of the places that he had been, maybe to some places that he had not been able to go before. Paul and his companions, verse 6, traveled throughout uh, the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. The Spirit of God kept them from going to Asia. They wanted to go there. They were headed in that direction. But God said, no, that's not the direction you're to go. Now, let me, let me personalize this for you as I do for me, as for myself. There are times when we feel like we're supposed to go in this direction, and the Spirit of God says, Nothing wrong with that. Your attempt to move in that direction is not evil. It's just not the way I want you to go. I wouldn't be standing here uh, preaching today and endeavoring to proclaim the gospel had the Lord not closed some doors and opened some others in my life. Isn't that true? Look back in your own life and see how God closes some doors. Not bad doors, 
but secondary doors, doors that were not what he primarily wanted you to do. And that happened to Paul. That's happened to me. That's happened to you. And some of you right now may be in the throes of which direction am I supposed to go, you high school seniors. You think, well, maybe I'm to go in this direction or this direction or another. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will say no. He will stop it one way or another. But listen, he never leads you to a dead end. Whenever he closes a door, he opens another. Now he had to close two or three doors before Paul got the word about which way he was supposed to go. No, the Holy Spirit did not allow them to go into Asia. Had they gone into Asia instead of going where they went, we'll get to that in a moment, we today would be receiving missionaries from Asia coming to tell us about Jesus Christ. This is one of the most significant verses of Scripture in the entire Bible, one of the most significant chapters in the entire Bible. One commentator said, this chapter is the single greatest chapter ever written on the history of Western civilization. Had it not been for what happened at Troas, you and I today would not be here. So God used a man. The God-man Jesus Christ commissioned people to go and Paul and many others followed that commission, and they went out. All of them gave their life. Some of them gave their lives physically. All of the early disciples did, except John, who died in exile. But here we go. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go. Here another door closes. Well, I thought I was going to go into medicine. No, maybe I'm not to go into medicine. Maybe I'm to go into um, uh, teaching. Maybe I'm supposed to go to law school. Uh, God may open that door. He may close that door. He may say, no, that's not it. One way or another, he has a way of doing that. If we're sensitive to doing his will. Now, if we're insensitive, if we're headstrong, and we're going to do it, come hell or high water, well, then God can't have anything to do with us. But if we're sensitive, amenable, moldable, pliable, he'll direct us. That's the key thing, to be sensitive to the will and the direction of God. When he closes the door, it's not punishment. He's got something better for you. Keep looking, keep turning, keep moving. Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. Now Troas is on the western shore, on, on the western end of Asia Minor, or Turkey. It's on the eastern shore of the Aegean Sea. Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia. Where's Macedonia? It's over in Europe. It's across there in Greece. Paul never thought of going there. He never turned his face in that direction. Even though Jesus had said to go into all of the world, Paul thought that uh, Asia Minor was the world to which he was uh, supposed to go. That was his homeland. That was where he was known. That's where he had connections. But suddenly, Macedonia never thought of that, moving in a totally different direction. He had a vision. Now, I don't know what kind of vision it was. That's just something that happened between Paul and God. Vision, I, one of the definitions of vision I like is sanctified imagination. Maybe God just plants 
an idea in your mind and it becomes a vision. You know, that's how this church got here. Somebody had a vision of a church out here on this hill. It was an idea. It was an impression. It was something they saw in their minds and in their hearts before they ever saw it with their eyes. And many of those who saw that first vision never lived to see the extent of the vision which they had seen embryonically in those days 50 years ago. A vision. I don't know whether it was some supernatural vision or some man that came uh, that spoke to him. Uh, there are those who believe it was Luke, that Luke, uh, some historians believe that Luke was from Macedonia, had been converted under the ministry of the Apostle Paul in Antioch, and was now with us for here in the 16th chapter is where Luke joins the team made up of Paul, Timothy, Silas, and now Luke. Maybe it was Luke who said, Paul, have you ever thought of looking toward Macedonia? Maybe that was the vision. I don't know. But whatever it was, he knew definitely that God wanted him to go to Macedonia. And so the scripture says, my NIV and the one you're reading says, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. It's unfortunate that they did not define uh, or translate the actual word that was used, which I think is a much stronger word than we got ready at once. The word that was used in the language of the New Testament, the Greek language of the New Testament, is a single word and it means immediately. No more committee meetings, no more discussion, no more prayer meetings. The issue settled, go. Immediately. No debate, no hesitation, no argumentation, go. When you know God has set the course, go. Go. Immediately, they left for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us. And that's the first time you read the word us because that's the first time Luke has joined them. He wrote the book of Acts, but up until this time, he has been writing what he was told by the apostle Paul and others, but now he's a part of the picture himself. So this is called the us chapter of the Bible. Us. He called us to preach the gospel to them. So they set sail. And someone has said the greatest single journey in the history of Western civilization was not when Columbus discovered America, but when Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke sailed in that little boat across the northern end of the Aegean Sea to Europe. The gospel was on its way to you and to me and to us. One of the most significant events in all of history was riding in that boat. Well, when they got there, Paul started looking around for a prayer meeting. On the Sabbath, the 13th verse says, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, there were some Jews in that part of the country, though they were a minority group. Uh, most were uh, Romans, uh, what would be called pagans by the Jews of the day, uh, Greeks. Um, Paul knew uh, there was no synagogue there. In other places, he found a synagogue to go to, go to, to attend. 
but he, there was no synagogue there, but he knew that Jews, if there were some there, even though they didn't have a synagogue, would probably try to find a river where they could have a prayer meeting. And the reason they would always look for a river where they could have a prayer meeting was because the river reminded them of their Babylonian captivity. When they hung their harps on the trees by the river, for how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? So they always looked for a river so they could pray and be reminded of their deliverance from Babylonian captivity. So when he got out there, here were some women. And so they introduced themselves. He said, well, I'm, my, my name is Paul, and here is my friend physician, uh, Dr. Luke, and here's my friend Timothy, and my friend... Uh, Silas. And uh, they said, well, what are you doing here? And Paul said, well, let me tell you what happened to me. And he tells his story. And a woman there by the name of Lydia, a seller of purple, which means she was in the dry goods business, the Lord opened her heart. And she accepted the things that Paul had said. And she accepted the Lord, and her whole family accepted the, the Lord. And she invited them to then come to her house and, and to stay there and to be with her. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that the first convert in the Western world was a woman? The first convert in the Western world was a woman. The first Christian church in the Western world was the home of Lydia. But there were other members yet to come. Notice prayer. Prayer as the basic ingredient in all that is happening in this, in this entire book, for that matter. But very succinctly, powerfully pointed out here in this 16th chapter of the book of Acts. They were moving in prayer. They were marching out in prayer. They were walking by faith through prayer. Prayer. They had a prayer meeting. And a woman was converted. I was in Yugoslavia back in the 60s at uh, Novi Sad, speaking at the seminary there, Fair Fine Baptist Seminary there. And some of the students in that seminary invited me to come out to a little community, well, 50 or 60,000 people in this community, uh, a few miles away from Novi Sad, if I would come and have a, a service and preach. I would have an interpreter go with me. And my friend, uh, Dr. Hora, uh, who was a had a Ph.D. in economics and who was pastor, who had become pastor of the Baptist Church in Zagreb, Yugoslavia, and has come to our church about 25 years or so ago, preached here, went with us uh, to a retreat up at uh, Lady Lodge. Some of you may remember that, Dr. Joseph Horak, and he was uh, fluent in English and fluent in Serbo-Croatian, and he was there in that conference with us, and he went with me to interpret. So we went out to this uh, community. They didn't have a church out there, but they were going to use someone's home, just like Lydia allowed the Christians to use her home uh, in Philippi. And so uh, they said, now, now you need to know this is going to be an illegal service. Uh, this was under communist days. It was not like it is now. Uh, it was under communist days in communist domination. And uh, they said, now, it's against the law, but we know they're not going to do anything. They probably won't make any fuss over it. And if they do uh, try to interrupt it or interrupt it, they're not going to do anything to you. They'll leave you alone. We know that. And I said, well, Lord, I hope they know what they're talking about. So anyway, 
we went out there to have a service. And, and they, uh, the uh, young people had gone out earlier with guitars and all and gone around town, different places, and invited people to come to this home. Well, it was a, uh, it was a normal-sized home, but they'd opened the windows so people outside could hear, and there were people in other rooms of the house that couldn't see. We couldn't see them, but they could hear. And they had me speak. Dr. Horrock interpreted. And uh, then we had a prayer time. And people started praying. It was just very quiet. They were praying naturally in their native language. I couldn't understand it, but God could. Aren't you glad God is bilingual? He can understand all languages. And he, so they were praying. And, uh, and I, Dr. Horrock wasn't trying to interpret uh, their prayers for me. I just, that was between each person and the Lord. And I was praying too. But suddenly one girl stood up and in a loud voice said something in Serbo-Croatian that just startled everybody. And what she said, Dr. Horrock leaned over and told me after the event had transpired, he leaned over and told me what happened. This girl stood up and she said, I do not know what it is that all these people have in this room that I don't have, but I want it and I need it. And all these young people got around this person and they began to talk with her and pray with her. And there in that prayer meeting, she became a Christian. The incredible, indescribable power of prayer. It brought Lydia to faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul was going to the street one day on their way to pray again. Notice that. 16th verse. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God and are telling you by the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled, he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Here we have, here we have a compassionate confrontation. Now, that's what Christians are supposed to do. If we confront someone, it is to be with compassion. The Scripture says reprove. That's right. Paul said this, it's to be a preacher. Reprove. Rebuke. Some people stop there and don't go any further. All they do is reprove and rebuke. Reprove and rebuke. Listen to what he said. Reprove and rebuke with all long-suffering and patience. Be sensitive. Be tender. Be careful. Be understanding. Be positive. But don't be rude. Now this woman, this young woman, was a slave. She was a fortune teller, and she was owned by some people in that community. Now there are a lot of things that can own us. There are a lot of things that we can become addicted to. Oh, we know about drugs and alcohol. We know about crack. We know about a lot of the stuff that's out. But you know, you can become addicted to yourself. I, 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 the big I, the modern trinity, me, myself, and I. We can become addicted to money. Nothing wrong with making money. Nothing wrong with having money. The problem is when it has you. You become a slave to it rather than it be a servant for you to use for the glory of God. 
I've read a good bit in, uh, about alcoholism because of our involvement with Alpha Home for all these many years. If some of you have never read the big book of AAs, you ought to read it sometime. If you do, what you'll find out is that they'll talk about you cannot break the habit of alcoholism. You cannot overcome that addiction or the addiction to cocaine or whatever it might be. You cannot overcome that just by willpower alone. It has you. It controls you. It's taken over your mind and your body. And the only thing that can break it, and this is out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is by an injection of the Spirit of God in your life. There is no healing apart from that. Go to therapy. That's wonderful. Go to therapy to help people, help you understand how to get along with people, how to work out some of your problems. But to break the habit, to be set free, to be liberated, to know the joy of the Lord, that does not happen until a person allows the living God to come through his spirit into a person's heart. And that way, and that way alone, will deliver someone from addiction, whatever it might be. And that's what happened to this girl here. Okay, church member number two, or maybe more than that because we don't know how many were in Lydia's family. Suddenly we've got this wonderful, respectable, religious, for she was religious as the scripture tells us, uh, Lydia, a worshiper of God, it says, just like Paul had been a worshiper of God, but was killing everybody that didn't agree with his interpretation of God. So he had become a Christian. Now here comes Lydia, and here comes a girl from really way out in the left field. I mean way out in deep left field. Slave to some people. What a tragedy. What a tragedy it is. I, I've, got to insert, I've got to insert a word about people who push drugs. Anybody that pushes drugs and uses it to get kids in junior high school and even in younger grades sometimes hooked on certain drugs. I don't believe there is a spot in hell hot enough for people like that. And and in addition to that, there are a lot of people who are not out there on the street peddling the drugs and pushing the drugs because they've already been hooked by somebody else to do that probably. But there are people in this city who are living in some gray, big, beautiful homes and driving luxurious automobiles, and they're making their money off of drugs, and there's a hotter place in hell for every one of them. It's not just a street problem. It's an executive problem. The best way to kill a snake is to cut off his head. Stop it at its source. So here we have this girl. Interesting church, huh? Paradigm of what the church is supposed to be. Respectable people being converted. Slave people being delivered, becoming a member of the church. Well, it caused a furor because when Paul cast the demon out of that girl and she was set free, then those men's source of income was lost. Well, the, mar the mafia of the first century didn't like that. They didn't like losing the income that came from this girl. And so they got tried to get rid of Paul. They wanted him beaten and whipped, and that's exactly what happened. Listen, the, the unbelieving world doesn't give a flip about us having prayer meetings. We can come down here and pray all day long, and we can sing our hymns, 
and uh, we could teach our Sunday school lessons, but the unbelieving, godless world doesn't give two cents about what we're doing in worship. You know what makes a difference? When we carry the light into the world and do something about our work, it's there that the water hits the wheel and the difference is made in our world. It's not just us getting together in this room that's going to make a difference in San Antonio. It's all of us in this room moving out into the world in which we're living to carry the light there because the darkness cannot hold back the light. And we're the light of the world. We sang it. Let's be it. Let's do it. So they took Paul and they took Silas and they had him whipped, had him beaten. Paul didn't tell them he was a Roman citizen. He could have pulled rank on them at that point, but he didn't do it. He let it be known later, but he just went right on through what was happening. Didn't say a thing. Whipped 40 times less one. That was the Roman plan. 39 lashes, both of them. And then they threw them in jail, put them in the innermost prison, and locked their feet fast in stocks. You imagine what it's like to have your back lashed 39 times? And then your feet locked in those horrible stocks. I've seen pictures of the kind of stocks they had in Roman prisons. The innermost prison down underground, dark, windowless, damp, rats infested. That's where they were. Twenty-fifth verse. About midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining and blaming others. No, you know what it says. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. One of the most unusual jail services ever conducted. I've preached in jails and penitentiaries and talked to people on death row, but I've never been an inmate along with them. But here, the inmates themselves, the ones locked in stocks in the innermost prison, solitary confinement, that's where they were. And here they are praying and singing praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. The prisoners listened to them. What a witness. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and all at once the doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prisoners' doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had, had escaped. It was Roman law that if a prisoner was, was to escape, the guard was life was to be taken in his place. He was going to kill himself because he thought they'd gone. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Don't do that. We're here. We're here. We're here. We're here. The man grabbed the light and came in. He said, what must I do to be saved? And that one great sentence of Paul's, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be delivered. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe, believe, believe. And he did. I want to say a word about Paul's word of warning to him. Don't hurt yourself. Don't do yourself any harm. I know it was more than 10 years ago because 10, it was when we were still had an evening service, a regular evening preaching service. One Sunday morning, over 10 years ago, I was preaching on this passage of Scripture, and I'd not planned to say anything about suicide uh, but when I got to it in the early service, I said, if, if any of you in this room are considering, seriously considering taking your own life, please let me say to you, from the Word of God, don't do it. Don't do it. 
We're all here. We're here to pray with you and pray for you. We're here to encourage you. We're here to stand by you. We're here. Don't do it. Well, I was surprised after that service, two people, unbeknown to each other, two people wanted to talk to me. And I took them one at a time and went over there and sat in that corner. Uh, people going to Sunday school, going to church, Bible study. And this person said, Buckner, this man, said, I was fully intending to take my life. been thinking about it. think that's the only way out of the situation I'm in. When I heard what you said today, God said something to me that it's not that bad. And he's going to help me through it. I'm not going to do it. And the woman came over and said exactly the same thing. They didn't know each other. They didn't know what the other was talking about. She said, I've been seriously contemplating suicide for a good while. But after hearing what God said through his word to you and through you to me today, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it. And I encouraged both of them to get into the counseling ministry here at our church, which they did. Well, I hadn't planned to say anything about it in the service. It was just one of those things that God puts on your mind at that time to say it. And I said it. And so I thought, well, maybe I ought to say it at the second service as well. Sometimes I change the sermon. Sometimes I add something to it. Sometimes I take something out. Those in the choir that are here twice, they, they can, if they're awake, they can sometimes tell when, I, <laughs> when I've dropped something out or I've thrown something in there. But uh, there is a kind of spontaneity that goes along uh, with preaching. At least there is as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but so I thought, well, I said it the first time. Maybe I'm supposed to say it the second time. So I did, but I didn't hear nobody said anything afterwards. But had a service that night. After I finished that service, a woman came up. A few people had made decisions. And this woman came up nicely dressed, late 30s, early 40s. She said, could I talk with you for a moment? And I said, certainly. And... Uh, we went over to the same place, and she said, I was here this morning and heard you talk about suicide. She said, I've been planning it for a number of days now. She said, I have a very good job. I have a nice car, but I have a lot of personal problems, and I'm going through a lot of difficulties, and I even had the gun out to do it. But God spoke to me after I heard you this morning, and I'm not going to take my life, and I want to give you something as a symbol of my commitment to trust in the Lord and not take my life. And she placed a bullet in my hand. I have it at home. I meant to bring it and show it to you. I've kept it as a reminder. Don't do anything to yourself. Don't, don't commit suicide slowly by getting hooked on drugs, alcohol. Don't kill yourself slowly or the habits to get control of us, whatever they might be. Do yourself no harm. We're all here to help each other. Now, I cannot close without saying a word about Paul. You and I would not be here had it not been for Jesus. We know that. But I don't think we'd be here either had it not been for Paul. What he suffered, here they were singing in prison. I don't know what they were singing. They were probably singing the equivalent of the first century equivalent of Amazing Grace or At the Cross or Solid Rock. I don't know. I'm, I know, of course, that they were not singing that, but I believe they were singing the Psalms. And let me tell you one I believe that Paul, I don't know. But I believe one that they might have sung. And the Psalms are songs, as you know, as you know. 
And this is from the 107th Psalm. Listen to this. I believe they sang this in that prison. Some sat in darkness, in the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. I believe those words reverberated through the corridors of that Philippian jail and the walls came tumbling down because God sent an earthquake of deliverance. Well, that wasn't the last jail Paul was to be thrown into. He was thrown into almost every jail in the Middle East at one time or another. He was in jail here at Philippi, of course, and then he was in jail in Jerusalem at a time, and then Caesarea for a couple of years, and then in prison in Rome uh, at least two times. Uh, we, we don't know. The man was always being thrown into prison. And uh, there are those that uh, questioned his authenticity as, as, a, uh, as a disciple, as a follower of the Lord. And the church at Corinthians, very unstable group of people to begin with, but they began to follow false apostles and false prophets, and uh, they were questioning Paul's authenticity and uh, his veracity, and they were boasting about themselves and putting him down. It caused him a lot of heartbreak and a lot of heartache. This church really did cause him a lot of heartache. In fact, he had to write two long letters to them, maybe a third. We don't know. We don't have it. But there's some who believe he, there was another letter uh, that he wrote to them as well. But let me, let me read you what he said. He, he doesn't like to talk much about himself, although he uses his, his example of conversion often. He didn't talk much about what had happened to him. But I, I want you to listen to this to the man who brought us here today because of his faithfulness to Christ. What anyone else dares to boast about, then he says, I'm, I'm speaking as a fool. I mean, I'll, I will not even be saying this. He's saying it. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? There's a parenthesis. He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. <laughs> It's not natural for him to do it. I must be going crazy talking like this. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. I work much harder. Been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. Have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I had been constantly on the move. I have been 
in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have gone hungry and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches who is weak and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn with them, for them. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. That's some man. We owe him a lot. We owe his Lord a lot more. Well, ultimately, Nero had him in prison in Rome. In the maritime prison, some of you have been there. I have a number of times. They put steps in now for tourists to go down in, but in those days there were no steps. It was just a cave, and a hole in the ground, dark, underground, damp, just a grate over the top which stayed locked, and they would put food and water down to them. In, in prison, and that's where he was. Nero was living on his palace on the Palatine Hill, and Paul was in prison. And Nero gave the word to have Paul beheaded. Being a Roman citizen, he would, could not be crucified, as were many other thousands of Christians being crucified. Nero. It's not original with me, but I've often said it, and it's worth repeating. Isn't it interesting? Men name their dogs after Nero and their sons after Paul. So they took him outside the gates. Some of you have been to the church. It commemorates the spot where he was beheaded. And I don't know what he said when he got there to face his executioner. I don't believe he went cringing into the night. Not this man. I believe he greeted his executioner with his two favorite words that you read in every one of his letters at least more than once in some. To the man who was about to cut off his head, may grace and peace of God our Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Put his head on the block, and I believe the last word, I don't know, I'm just guessing, the last words he spoke were words echoing the words of Jesus on the cross. 
Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And they cut off his head. But they didn't cut off the words that he wrote that had been read and reread, memorized and quoted by millions and millions and millions of people. How do you cut all of that out of our hearts? You can't. Cut off his head. That doesn't begin to stop what he started. God used him to bring the gospel to the Western world, and we are recipients of the grace of God and the devotion of one man who was not afraid to keep carrying the light. You all do it. Do it. Do it. The future demands it. The future needs it. The kingdom of God requires it. What a paradigm for the church. A businesswoman, respectable, fortune teller walking the streets, slave girl, a Philippian jailer and his family. That was the first church in the Western world, and it's a paradigm for what every church ought to be, irrespective of who you are, where you're coming from, what you've done, what you've not done, the gates of the kingdom of God are open to every one of you. The invitation of Jesus Christ is to whosoever will. Lydia, streetwalker, or Philippian jailer, whatever category you may find yourself in in life, you can all be a part of the family of God and spend eternity with the Lord and with his people. And I want to someday thank Paul for what he means to us and to the Western world. I'll be here to greet you if you'd like to join the body of Christ and be a part of the fellowship of the twice-born who say, Christ has come into my life and I want to be a part of what he's doing in the world. And I come to move my membership to be a part of the fellowship that is here at Trinity Baptist Church. Would you do it? I'll be here to greet you. Let's stand and let's sing.